This segment is proudly brought to you by Capital Air. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Yeah, oh well, that that nizam just gets me going every day. Alhamdulillah. Welcome to Business Matters with me, your host, Anameen Templeton, on this wonderful day of your mouth, Athalatha. That is the day of Tuesday. Well, well, in actual fact, uh, under Islamic custom, it's actually Yom Al Arbi'a, which is Wednesday, because the sun's just gone down. Oh, what a strange kind of experience it's been uh, starting uh, this show on Marka Sahaba, uh, with uh, right on the on the cusp of Maghrib. When I started last month, we were still in the hot months of summer. Sweltering and sweating away, and oh, you know, the days I'd start my show, and I'm like, sort of saying, Welcome, welcome, and I'm thinking, Oh, I'm supposed to be at Salah. It really can be a tricky business managing your Salah and uh, your business interests. I'm sure many of you have uh, similar experiences on a daily basis. you know, uh, we were discussing it uh, on Jamaat uh, a few months ago. Uh, the, the thought suddenly occurred to me, you know, why does Allah Ta'ala, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a kind of like a difficult thing, you know. Um, one moment you're making your salah and it's five o'clock, it's four o'clock in the morning. And the next moment at six o'clock in the morning you're making your salah. So like, um, so, uh, you know, um and then in the, in the in the evenings, Maghrib comes along. Sometimes it's like five o'clock, and sometimes it's twelve minutes past seven. I think is the latest that the sun goes down in Johannesburg. Ah, uh, I, I was thinking about it, and this idea came to me. You know what? What would happen if Allah Taala like sort of made the sun come up and down at the same time every single day? You know, um, you would get some Muslims who like to like say Allah Taala made the the sunrise at four o'clock in the morning. You get a whole lot of Muslims who find it easy to get up at uh, at four o'clock in the morning, and they'd be there making their salah every single fajr. And then the guys that find it easy to get up at six o'clock, um, they they were there. They'd be having it easy in winter. Whereas the guys that got up at four o'clock and they want to be uh, like bakers and so on, and they want to be at business at five o'clock, now they're having it difficult in the winter months. So, in a way, you know, Allah Taala has given each of us an opportunity to kind of like. Hit our purple patch of of salah, you know. You you get in here, right? This is my season of the year. This is where I can really focus. This is like the easy time for me. When the easy time of the year comes along, that's when I must focus on getting my five times daily salah right. I can get up for fajr just at the right time. It's just perfect for me. You get into the rhythm. Then when it's easy, inshallah, later on it'll, when it's becoming difficult, you'll have that discipline behind you. That's why I think Allah Ta'ala makes the sun rise up and go down at different times throughout the year. And isn't it a wonderful thing about Islam, you know? It keeps us in, not just in touch with, um, 
with ourselves and with Allah Ta'ala. But it keeps us uh, in connection with the entire universe, just the five times daily salah, you know. Um, the moon is determining when each month is beginning. The sun is determining what time we're making our salah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we, we, we've got whole, the whole of the heavens is in sync with you. That's what you need to do. When you get five times daily salah, you'll get in sync with the entire universe. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Oh, well, anyway, today, Group 5, the big construction company, filed for bankruptcy protection. That was after lenders pooled funding, threatening the collapse of one of the biggest names in the local construction industry. We'll have more on, on, on this later on in the show, also coming up in the show. Safaricom has announced it's uh, secured a deal with Alibaba, one of the biggest uh, internet companies in the entire world, if not the biggest internet company in the entire world. They've just uh, listed in uh, the New York, I think, in 2017. Uh, they've uh, made an agreement with Safaricom to use its Impesa mobile payment services for online shopping at Alibaba. So that's big news for Kenya's biggest um, uh, cell phone company. Boeing is contending with a growing crisis after its plane crash in Ethiopia on Sunday. More and more countries are saying, I'm, so I'm sorry, but your 737 MAX 8 uh, model is not going to be allowed to fly in our airspaces until we've sorted out this problem. Two of these models have crashed in the last five months. The, the, the first one was in Indonesia five months ago, and the latest one was now. And both of the planes crashed just shortly after takeoff. So, like another you know, similarity of the incidents can occur in so shortly after each other. And uh, the big thing about um, there were brand new aircrafts, almost brand new aircrafts. So uh, it's, it's not surprising uh, that more and more nations are now saying, hold on a moment, we want to sort this whole thing out first and foremost before we go any further. Uh, so that's happening there. We've got uh, South Africa's uh, on, a, on a bond selling program around the world at the moment. And we'll tell you more about the, the results of that in the light of uh, Moody's downgrade coming uh, maybe next month or maybe we're going to stay the same level. Or, Well, you know, um, the Standard & Poor's surprised everyone last month in, uh, in an aftermarket announcement that they had actually upgraded ESCOM. Well, you know, if miracle, well, it's, okay, it's it's not a miracle, but I mean, you know, if Escon can be downgraded, then surely, you know, it's only one small sum of the parts of South Africa. Uh, you know, can we be led off the hook here? I mean, America subsidized its banking industry to the tune of more than five trillion dollars since two thousand and eight. We haven't put our economy on life support like the European economy is. We are not uh, chucking quantitative easing trillions uh, into our bond market in order to try and bail out the stock exchange. Um, so why on earth are we sitting on on downgrade watch, whereas America is on like triple A rating? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Well, one kind of wonders. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe the United States is in debt to Standard and Poor's and Moody's and so on. And Moody's and Standard and Poor's are scared that they're going to be put like at the back of the line of creditors if the two countries go bankrupt. Well, uh, no, I, I, I suppose it's not really that serious. But uh, anyway, um, having a look at uh, the main news coming out of ShareNet. Uh, we see that uh, the top uh, five most l 
watched shares today on ShareNet. Aspen, again, it's been there since last week, brought out results uh, saying, oh, you know, our debt position is completely messed up. We're going to have to sell a whole, of our, a whole lot of our parts. And, well, as a result of that, and like I said, it's like all the bad boys of the stock exchange. Usually it's the bad boys of the stock exchange, the most viewed shares. Uh, you're not going to see them among some. You're not always going to see them among the biggest winners and the biggest losers. But if you want to know what's kind of like dark and lurking below the surface just there, uh, well, you go and have a look at the most viewed shares on ShareNet, and uh, it'll give an idea of who's who's in trouble. And so Aspen's in trouble. The second most watched share today is Steinoff. Steinoff is in trouble. Uh, its shares one rand ninety-eight. I mean, that's really so pathetic. From a high of ninety-five rand back in uh, twenty seventeen to their terrible December. Oh well, Tongart also. That's the third most watched share, and of course Tongart is also in trouble with uh, with a lot of debt. And Aveng also, there's it. Three companies, well, three companies, Aspen, Tongart, and Aveng. All three of those companies are being watched on the JSE because of their debt problems. Their management have allowed a huge debt problem to develop on their books. And now they suddenly saying, oh, no, we don't know what to do. We're going to have to get more money. And, of course, that means that means that shareholders in those companies, uh, like, you know, obviously hoping every year you're going to get a dividend out of them. Well, when you, when you hear news like that, it means like you've got a three- to five-year period before you're going to get a turnaround uh, in any kind of, like, practical kind of um, expectations of, of those companies uh, because, of course, they're going to have to sell off parts of the company. That means they're going to get less revenue coming in um, they're going to have to um, send that money out and of course the shareholders are going to watch their their share value eroding every time something else is sold off from the company and that's just to tread water to stay where you are so uh, yeah it's, it really is a kind of like buffalo alley isn't it uh, that's like my sheikh likes to call uh, the guys who sit and the with their backs against the wall during Ramadan, Buffalo Alley, Buffalo Alley. Well, there's it. That chain is Buffalo Alley, the most viewed shares on the stock exchange. We've got to give a good Muslim slant to these things, you know. Uh, okay, the all share index uh, today is up 0.21% on 55,699. Uh, well, so, you know, we're we're up. We are only down against the euro. That's probably because the euro is hoping they're going to be able to kick the British out. <laughs> we gained against the pound today. And that was on a day when the European Union said, um, well, no, but Theresa May came out and said, I've got some really wonderful little deal from the European Union. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it is enforceable in the courts which probably means she's sitting there with nothing. So she's not telling anyone anything. Uh, and, uh, well, if, if you want to take a, a lead from what, the, what the, uh, the, the, the currency indicators are saying, the pound is supposed to go up when the Brexit looks like it's not going to take place. Every time Brexit isn't going to, it looks like Brexit isn't going to take place or like it's going to be delayed for a year or something like that, the pound shoots through the roof. So now today, um, Theresa May said that I've got a deal with the European Union and it is enforceable in law. Uh, and uh, the pound went down. Well, I guess go, go to show you. That's well, one an idiotic uh, decision made by the British there, but they did vote for it. It's amazing, you know, it's kind of like uh, a systemic uh, superstition. 
it comes in. You know, like you believe that your, your, your system that you've got in place, you know, you've got everyone in their little pigeonholes and they all throwing stuff at each other. And say, I'm a liberal and I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Green Party person, you know. They all sit there and they hold their friends close and they go to a pub and they drink glue wine and stuff and they mutter about how nasty the other people are in the, in the, the, the conservative camp and the, the conservatives go on about those gold darn liberals. Um, so, like, you know, uh, you, you, you get to a situation where, where your system starts moving further and further from the reality that gave birth to it. And uh, eventually uh, just becomes rules for the system and can become completely dissociated from the reality around you. And so, like, we, we, we kind of seen something like this in Britain. It seems like Parliament seems to think that it's going to fix the unfixable Brexit dilemma that they've put themselves with. That they, you know, it was the politicians that threw together this idea and held a referendum a few years ago about Brexit. And now they find themselves having to implement the, 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 voters, the voters' decision. They got the voters so angry about those Muslim immigrants coming into England, and they got them so angry about the European Court of Justice enforcing the rights of Muslims as human beings that they decided they wanted to have nothing more to do with Europe. They could go on their own, they said. They're the great British Empire, and the Britons never, never, never will be slaves, as they always like to sing. So they said, we're going on our own way. And boy, you know, it's, it's, it's like a cat. I don't know if any of you have got a cat. Um, you'll be sitting there night time, and you're like having a nice comfort time, sharing a cup of tea with your wife or something like that, and then the cat will start going, at the door and you kind of like ignore it because you're having a nice time and meow meow and eventually like after about five minutes your wife slaps you and says go let that down cat out so oh here you go and you there's the cat sitting at the door waiting for you and kind of like looks up at you and you pull down the door handle and you you're like you've got to open the door slowly because of course the cat's in the way of the door opening and the cat doesn't like being pushed out of the way because then it's going to go sit under the table you know the cat wants to get out fine we want the cat out right so you gently open the door and you kind of push the cat out of the way and you open the door and then you stand there with the door open and then the cat looks at you like you're mad look what are you looking at me for and it sits in and walks back into the house <laughs> that's what brexit is like <laughs> The British are there, see, now I'm laughing at my own jokes again. The British have voted for Brexit. Uh, they've been given Brexit. Instead of the Europeans saying, no, no, sacre bleu, you cannot leave for us to lose Britain out of the European Union. It's unacceptable. The Germans are saying, well, we don't know about that. And uh, next thing you know, the British don't want to leave. Everyone's hoping, yeah, the cat's out of the bag. But instead, it just sits in the doorway and gets in everyone's way. That's Brexit for you. So anyway, yeah, we've gained against the pound today. We've gained against the dollar. We've lost slight ground against the euro. We've got 0.78% against the pound, and we've lost 0.26% against the euro. So, you know, in terms of, uh, of financial, of uh, currency performance, indicating that the government has done something good today. While the government did do something good today, if the rand, uh, rand dollar and the rand pound exchange rates are to be believed, no one's telling us what the government did. 
But it seems that the government did a good thing. Those currency dealers, they sure have got an inside track, don't they? And gold is trading at $1,297. It's slightly up over yesterday. I think it's about $3 up over yesterday. Still under that magical 1300 mark. Well, well, people like to call it the magical 300 uh, mark, but uh, 1300 mark. But, well, well, yeah, well, you see, the reason why they call it that is because you have funds, right? They've got all these different kind of algorithms. You know, it's, it's, it's cheaper to get um, a 16-year-old pimple-faced uh, adolescent to, to come in and write up an algorithm to control uh, how your, your fund is going to dip in and out of, of stocks on the stock exchange and decide whether to buy or not. You know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm quite sure it's a similar algorithm to the, uh, to the computers that control the, uh, the one-armed bandits in the casinos. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, but it's probably a very similar kind of algorithm to that. Decides on, on, on this level, you will get into commodities. Okay, copper, we'll get into commodity when the price hits this. Um, we'll get into lead when the price hits this. Uh, we'll move into industrials once uh, the, you know, the bond rate curve uh, starts uh, intersecting at this level. Uh, and, and so this algorithm gets very clever and then you just feed it into your computer and then you go home and you tell people that you're a really intelligent uh, economist. And uh, if you've got a good algorithm, well, then your computer just goes and it buys into stocks at certain levels. So like 1,300 is a buy-in level for, for many funds. And of course, it's also a selling level for many funds. And so that's why it becomes very important for stock exchange, uh, investor relations kind of people to know about these kind of levels and things. Uh, but uh, application in real life, very little. It's, uh, in fact, I, I think it's kind of like the algorithms reflecting the subject of superstitions of the people that put them together or maybe maybe just the subject of superstitions of the board of the company to whom you're trying to sell your algorithm to all right well um major moves on the stock exchange today in the northerly direction uh aspen uh recovered greatly 10.28 percent up uh, MMI Holdings up 6.02%. That's a fund manager. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a second day in a row that they've been up among the gainers. Maybe I should have a look into them. Uh, Telcom is a big gainer today, up half a percent. Uh, Quilter uh, up 5.05. And Pick and Pay also up 3.22. Retailers, I'm happy to see, have been uh, regular gainers on the JSE. RCL, the food group, down 4.06%. Vivo, the shell service station retailer in the rest of Africa, is down 3.92%. Anglo Platinum, down 2.43. Roynet, down 1.91. And Woolies, down 1.74. Right, well there, that's the stock exchange done. What else do we have uh, on the show today? Yes, Group 5. Group 5 filing for bankruptcy protection, that's after the lenders pulled funding and threatened to collapse one of the biggest names in the local construction industry, putting more than 8,000 jobs in jeopardy. Group 5 has been going since the 1970s. It was a tie-up of five construction companies, and but it's been struggling to make money for years after the massive infrastructure spending that we saw around the 2010 World Cup. After that, suddenly the plug has been pulled and all uh, construction companies in South Africa are in a certain amount of trouble. Um, 
I was kind of like wondering about that, you know. Uh, I felt that the construction companies, after the Competition Commission had revealed the the graft that went on and the bribes that were paid, I always felt that the construction industry, in actual fact, got off very lightly. They liked to think that they were let off, uh, they, they, that they were dealt a heavy blow. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, when you're there and uh, you're the new chief executive and all the other guys um, that put the bribes together, they've already left the company three years before the Competition Commission brought out its report. And, of course, they've taken all of their money with them. It's not like, you know, you come as a chief executive and you take over, like, say, Group 5 or Marion Roberts or whatever, and you say, oh, well, now, um, because those chief executives, they didn't try and defend the previous administrators and the previous uh, previous boards. Um, they should, they, they, they did, uh, uh, cough up the information and so on. But, um, the thing is that the money was already gone and the fines handed down, um, in actual fact, make it profitable, uh, to get into corruption. Uh, because you lo- look at your returns, you look at your risk, you do a sweat analysis, uh, as though uh, your entire akhira is not hanging in the balance. I think that's what happens to these guys. Instead of asking an imam for advice as to whether or not to get into corruption, they go in and ask an economist or maybe an auditor. And, uh, and well, the result is what we're seeing. So now, this sudden closing of the taps for the construction industry by the government, is this in actual fact the backlash to the 2010 World Cup corruption, is are they? They didn't. Uh, they didn't. They, they they did get massive fines, but not massive enough, uh, because it was still profitable for them. Uh, but of course, you know, the government doesn't want to put people out of business because you want like companies like this to employ people. You want them to pay taxes and so on. You want them to build you nice highways and roads. But you know, at what price? And it would seem that uh, you've had a general kind of antipathy developing uh, in government regarding the construction sector. And uh, so as a result, you know, people can say, yeah, the ANC government is corrupt, it's corrupt, it's corrupt. But if it was corrupt, surely it would have just like jumped onto the back of the construction sector. And we would have had all kinds of different kind of things being built all over the place, getting into halfway through the stage and then not developing potholes and things. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah we've got Modip and Kusile. Ne? Um, yeah, but, but, but even there, the construction delays and the construction problems, maybe uh, it would appear that there is a certain degree of antipathy in the ANC government towards the construction sector at the moment. Maybe the ANC is in actual fact now shy. You might not believe it. Yeah, maybe the ANC members are feeling shy. They, they, they're getting every kind of accusation, corruption, 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 number pimpy, ma pimpy, ma pimpy, sell out, sell out, sell out. Everywhere they go, you know, um, they used to be heroes when they'd go to the pub at the top of the Maslow Hotel and everyone would want to come and sit at their table. Now no one even wants to come and sit down with breakfast with them. And, you know... As a result, they're not very well inclined towards the construction industry. Is that what we've seen? Because you see, in the lead up to 2010 and in the building of all of those stadia, and oh, we did build such beautiful stadia, didn't we? Mm. Uh, and uh, well, you know, in order to build those stadia, 
you've got to buy a whole lot of yellow equipment. And once you've got that yellow equipment onto your books, then you've got EBITDA every year. Um, and if they stand in idle, well, then your, your, your book just starts looking pretty pathetic. Um, good people start leaving the company. There's a big problem. Maybe the good people are actually leaving the country now. But nevertheless, uh, Group 5 um, is uh, now the second company in the, in the last few uh, months to, to apply for bankruptcy protection. Uh, Basil Reed was the other one about five months ago. Uh, and, uh, well, they're all running into cash flow problems. Of course, uh, Group 5's major cash flow problems uh, started really uh, digging. You know, you know, you say you reach the bottom of the barrel, and then I started to dig. Well, it looked like Group 5 was at the bottom of the barrel last year, and then Ghana's Cent Power Generation Company turned around and then said, we want $62.7 million from you over a building delay of a power plant in our country. Since then, the project's been terminated. It would appear that Group 5... Well, you know, it's a strange thing. You say, like, we, we, we don't have enough business coming in. Uh, but then when they do get business, they're un unable to perform with it. Look with the Veng, that Tutuzi bridge in uh, Transkai. Uh, well, well, they said that uh, they were prevented from uh, accessing the site because of community protests. And in fact, these community protests the construction companies have been complaining about for the last while, saying that... Uh, they keep on getting these com community leaders coming onto the building site and intimidating our workers, making it impossible for us, you know, especially when you've got like civil engineering projects, like with the with Aveng's uh, uh, bridge project. They were having to pour cement down like uh, 180 meter chutes. Uh, so once you start pouring, you can't interrupt halfway, you know, because you've got your rebar rods. Down there, uh, you've got your 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 frame, uh, and you're pouring wet cement, 180 meters down. And like you know, you've got to get one truck goes away, then another truck's got to come, then and that truck goes away, then another truck's got to come, and all those trucks have got to keep that cement wet inside those big revolving drums that they have on the back. Uh, and so you know, it's not an easy job. You can't just uh, have no. Well, now the community leader is here. Ah, just an indication that uh, the Western system is breaking down. The trade unions are no longer able to represent people. The political parties are no longer able to represent people. And the corporations are no longer able to enforce their will. A good thing and a bad thing. Um, you know, so many Muslims in South Africa are caught up in this like Western middle class living uh, lifestyle. And we find ourselves so caught up in it. We start like attributing like middle class expectations to Islam. Like these are Islamic things. You know, we live in an area and then we see poor people at the at the corner and they don't get out of the way quickly enough. And la la la, you know, kadwas and all of these kind of things we start saying. But in actual fact, we're becoming inured from the needs of the poor. I've heard saying, I don't know if it's a hadith, where the saying comes from, that Allah Ta'ala, that crime is a punishment Allah Ta'ala visits on a society when it doesn't take care of its poor. And we've got plenty of handouts to the poor in this country, but obviously it's not enough. More needs to be done.
and the system is failing. Not just the rich, it's also failing the poor. Well, we're going to have to cross for a quick commercial break, some news from the market coming up halfway stage to our show. So don't go away. We're going to be back in just a little while. Marukas Sahaba, the voice of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Assalamu alaikum. Yeah, well, getting back. Uh, if you would like to share your views with me and with our other listeners, you can give us a call. Uh, the number is 010 uh, Or you can WhatsApp, WhatsApp us if you're feeling a little shy today or you're worried that I'm going to be rude to you. I won't be rude to you. I promise. I promise I'm a very nice guy. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Tito Mbweni might think otherwise. But if you want to WhatsApp us, our number here is 084-786-3132. We'd love to hear from you. So, so getting back to Group 5, uh, Wayne McCurry, a portfolio manager, manager at Ashburton Investments, told Reuters today that it was a great, it was a great shame to see Group 5 applying for bankruptcy protection because it's been around forever and at one stage was one of the biggest construction companies. But he agrees with me. He says the industry is not totally blameless in all of this. They can't just say the environment is tough. In the good years, they put on too much capacity, and in the bad years, they didn't cut capacity quickly enough. Yeah, Group 5 was worth around uh, 5 billion rand in 2009, just before the World Cup. Uh, Today, it's worth 100 million rand. Uh, From 5 billion rand to 100 million rands. That is a massive fallback. Uh, yeah, it just goes to show if you've got too much yellow machinery in the car park, you're gonna, it's not going to be long before you're going to have red in your ledger. Uh, Basil Reed, of course, filed for bankruptcy protection last year with 2.6 billion rands in liabilities. Uh, Group 5 says that they've got around about 5 billion rands in liabilities and they've told stockholders that there's a slim chance for any realization of value. So they've got like the the stock exchange is valuing the company at 100 million rands. It's got 5 billion rands worth of liabilities. Oh, well, maybe that's bye-bye Group 5. Well, good news coming out of Kenya today. And that is that Safaricom, Kenya's biggest uh, cell phone company, has secured a deal to use its M-Pesa mobile payment service for online shopping on one of Alibaba's platforms, part of a move to expand its most profitable product beyond Kenya. AliExpress.com, run by Alibaba, will allow Kenyan shoppers to buy goods on the site using M-Pesa as payment in a matter of weeks. It just goes to show, um, I think the uh, it was the Romans, they had a saying, uh, ex Africa semper aliquid venit, from Africa something new always comes. Uh, and uh, the Europeans and the Americans like to think that they're the big innovators in the world. But uh, it didn't take an African uh, cell phone company long to work out that in actual fact you could use your cell phone to make payments. People started uh, sending each other voucher numbers. That's how it all started out. People started sending each other voucher numbers for for airtime. Uh, And out of that... Uh, M-Pesa grew. Uh, so like out of grassroots African ingenuity, M-Pesa grew. And of course now it's been copycatted all over the world. 
uh, I don't know, it's uh, in violation of copyright laws and intellectual uh, intellectual property uh, protection laws. Um, well, you know, it kind of like reminds us of that uh, please call me uh, problem that uh, Vodacom is experiencing in South Africa at the moment. Uh, and uh, But anyway, Safari comes and pets a... Um, um, innovation has been copied all around the world now, but nevertheless, uh, they've been rewarded by Alibaba uh, under the deal uh, and financial and affiliate of Alibaba that runs the portal's payment services will offer M-Pesa as one of the payment options uh, with transactions denominated in Kenyan shib- shillings. So the move, especially the move, especially targets micro traders in the country who source goods and other supplies from manufacturers in China. Safaricom, Kenya's largest operator, is partly owned by Vodacom, that's South Africa's Vodacom, which is owned by Vodafone, and Britain's Vodafone. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. And the deal was part of an effort to transform and pass into global payments platform. Oh, the British are really good. The Europeans, actually. Uh, I've, uh, I, was, I was in Pretoria today uh, for the protest outside the Algerian embassy. Algeria is a fascinating country, I must say. It's like one of the most modernized and wealthiest nations in Africa. It's got an extremely astute and united population. I must say that I I really do like the Algerians. I like the Berbers. The Berber flag, you know, has a symbol. It's like um, um, an upwardly tilted sea and a downwardly tilted sea with a line, uh, a vertical line connecting the two. Uh, and that's their symbol for freedom. And in fact, the name that they give themselves actually means the people of freedom, the free people. Uh, and why did I start talking about, uh, why did I start? Oh, well, you see, now I'm really, I'm really starting to get off, off, off track now. Yeah, about uh, France and uh, their, their, their oil deals with the Algerian state-owned oil company. Uh, sure. A lot of corruption there. France, France in Africa is the filthiest of nations. The filthiest of nations. La merde. La terre la merde. Yeah, that's France for you. When it comes to Africa, it's just blood. Just blood, 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 cash. And blood and cash. Blood and cash. And, uh, ew, boy, I tell you what, if you were a former colony of France... All of your reserve banks' reserves are kept in Paris. Uh, Several times, Ghana and several other countries have tried to stop those payments. And like, you know, a few few, days later, uh, heads of reserve banks have been been shot dead or presidents of countries have even been shot dead. That's what France gets up to in Africa. In uh, 2007, uh, Arriva, the nuclear... France's state-owned nuclear company uh, that uh, it it both manufactures uh, nuclear power plants as well as mines for uranium. Uh, So, of course, uh, it was in the Niger mining uranium. And uh, it was forced in 2007 to pay $161 million over to the Niger government after Arriva was caught planting landmines in the country. Uh, of course, France is also big in Chad. It keeps Idris Deby, another Muslim dictator, in power. 
and uh, of course it, it gets uh, Idris Deby's oil coming through uh, via Spain. Uh, it, uh, it has a permanent base in Chad. And, uh, of course, Chad's leaders have always come from Darfur. Darfur is one of the last unexploited oil fields in Africa. The other unexploited oil field in Africa is around the, the Somali coastline. It shares the Aden oil field with Yemen. So now there's two countries and an oil field whose fates are remarkably similar. Darfur, a, rem a fate remarkably similar. Uh... That's France in Africa for you, my friends. That's France in Africa for you. They like to go on about égalité, fraternité, miserabilité. But in actual fact, it's a very undemocratic country. It's a very corrupt country. And uh, ALF, the oil company, is like probably the most... Well, okay, Goldman Sachs is probably the most corrupt company in the world. Uh, but uh, ALF, the French... The French government-owned oil company is probably the second dirtiest company in the world. Uh, really, a filthy, dirty country. Um, could go into uh, Henri Dumas. Uh, was it Henri Dumas? Yeah, I think it was Henri Dumas. Or is that the name of the the, the novelist? It was the French uh, former French foreign minister uh, back in two thousand and four. He uh, he was uh, sent to jail for taking bribes from Alf. You see, the French didn't mind. The French government didn't mind Alf going around and uh, bribing all of the governments of Africa. That's why every time France says yes, we want to have a, 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 a meeting with the leaders of Africa. The leaders of Africa they flock there like like um, like pigeons. Uh, over a scattered loaf of bread in downtown Johannesburg CBD. Uh, they there, they puck, 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 getting fatter and fatter and fatter. Alf, the Alf uh, credit card has been bribing Africa and stealing billions and killing millions for decades and decades and decades. And the French government is completely, they don't care. They don't care. You got so about you killing. Ah, <laughs> merde. We don't care. We don't care for your silly Africans. Nicolas Sarkozy came to Africa. Um, President Thabo Mbeki sent a congratulatory letter to him when he stood up at the um, the University of Dakar and said, "Yeah, that the 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 African must stop dreaming about a golden past that never existed. He needs to waken himself up from the self-induced slumber in which he finds himself. Uh, and the top of the said, yes, thank you very much. That's the way you must speak about Africans. So, you know, salats. Salats on both sides of the Mediterranean. Mm. Boeing is contending with a growing crisis. That's after today. Malaysia, Singapore and Australia closed their airspaces. That is uh, yesterday. Um, China, uh, Indonesia and Ethiopia. So that's now six countries that have closed their airspace to their 737 MAX 8 aircraft in response to that crash, that very sad crash in Ethiopia on Sunday. 
Um, the three nations opted for caution following the lead of China, Indonesia, and Ethiopia. I see this new story doesn't have Ethiopia. Even as the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration said, the jet model remains airworthy. Ooh, European, uh, American standards. American standards have got nothing to do with safety. They have got nothing to do with the health of the customer. They have only got to do with the health of the company and selling, selling, selling. So uh, America Food and Drug Administration will say it's fine, man. Um, when you want to massacre the chickens, you want to take the because the the the, the chicken abattoirs are so filthy, dirty, and because we've got such a big volume that we need to get through here, we can't keep the the the, the chicken abattoirs clean. We don't bother with that. No, we 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 just take the chicken, the chicken meat, and we soak it in uh, uh, chlorine. We soak it in chlorine and then we freeze it and then we send it to you to be eaten. And there, the Food and Drug Administration says, "Yeah, that's just fine, man." Uh, and so there's there's all kinds of other issues uh, where if it comes to profits and making money, Food and Drug Administration will say, "Yeah, well, that's science for you. Science has proven that this product is safe because it made money for the shareholders." That's how the scientists from the Food and Drug Administration uh, like to get together and decide whether or not something is safe. Food and Drug Administration, I think, uh, still says that it's quite safe to smoke uh, to smoke cigarettes, and cigarettes don't cause cancer. Um, of course, there's another imbroglio uh, underneath the water here, and that is, you see, China yesterday was one of the first nations to say, sorry, no Boeing uh, MAX 8 models are going to be flying over our skies or through our skies. That's a big thing. That's a very big thing, you see, because it would appear that two uh, the two kind of like pillars to Donald Trump's uh, breakthroughs in trade talks, he's already decided that he's got what he wants. And it appears to be that that is... Um, uh, the Chinese government allowing the yuan to increase in value against the dollar uh, because, of course, it makes its exports far, very easy to get into the United States. And uh, the other thing was it appears to have been an agreement that uh, China would make a massive order from Boeing. Now China suddenly turned around and said, no, I'm sorry, but we're not going to allow your aircraft to fly through our airspace. I'm sure that the trade negotiators there uh, from the United States are sitting back and saying, what does this mean? Uh, today, Boeing shares slipped 3%. 3 uh, questions are swirling around the newest version of the 737 family. Boeing believes that it's a cash cow because it's an upgraded model, but because of innovations in the cockpit, uh, it's not going to require any retraining of the pilot. So that means that uh, a, a, major, a major cost factor for airlines, of course, it's very expensive to train airline pilots. Uh, that's a major cost factor that's going to make the transition from the old 737 part of the, um, of the airline's fleet to the new 737 MAX 8. It's going to make it very easy. Uh, you don't have to retrain your staff. You just can order the new models, you go and send your staff over to their country, they can fly them back straight away. They can get out of the 737 that they flew there, the least 737 that they flew there, and they can get another plane and fly back. Um, 
Now, South African Airways has MAX 8 models. Uh, Comair also has MAX 8 models. The Civil Aviation Authority here in South Africa has been also deciding whether or not they should ground these aircraft. I think Comair yesterday said that they were going to ground their, their uh, MAX 8s. But the Civil Aviation Authority hasn't stepped up to the plate and said, we are going to protect South Africans. We're not going to allow these dangerous American uh, inferior aircraft to fly above our cities. The Civil Aviation Authority hasn't stepped forward, haven't stepped up the plate and said so. Is that because our Civil Aviation Authority is coming under pressure from the United States? That's just a little question. It's just a little question. You know, if they'll go and massacre over a million Iraqis claiming that there's weapons of mass destruction there and it's not there, then, you know, you really have to uh, ask very big questions. Anytime it's the United States, you just know. This is no longer a superpower. This is a global super problem. This is a global superpower in decline. In fact, it's no longer a superpower. A superpower doesn't actually have to go to little nations and bash them over their heads. And like, you know, you don't have your leader like jumping up and down and then screaming and about uh, Mexicans coming over the border. Like, you know, it's not like something new. Um, Mexicans have been a major source of, uh, of wage reduction in the United States. Americans say, oh, come on over here and steal our jobs. No, I'm sorry, they're not stealing your jobs. They're going and getting jobs that most Americans don't want. They go and they work in the fields. They, 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 they make the American dream possible in as far as much as that frayed version of reality represents anything nowadays. Uh, because the American dream used to be, well, you get married, you go and you buy a house, you have a nice picket fence, and you have a few kids, and you have two cars, and your kids go to school, and you buy all these nice things, you've got microwaves, you've got TVs, you've got flat screen TVs, you've got microwaves, you've got TVs, you've got smart phones even if you're stupid that's the american dream and uh it's the subsidization of the american wage allowing people to pay a lower wage that is an actual fact keeping america uh slightly above water at the moment as it desperately tries to to tread water well unlike the european union as we pointed out yesterday at least america has paid back like 500 billion dollars of its of its um over five trillion plus um, quantitative easing programs, uh, Europe hasn't even got round to there. The United States has managed to increase its interest rates to two point five percent. In the European Union, they're still at naught percent. Um, and now America, in actual fact, today is going on about the World Trade Organization's rules we need to be revisited because you know these rules are, are ridiculous. They're ridiculous for the United States, but they're there in place because they protect the, the, the rights of other countries, ostensibly protect the rights of other countries. Um, and uh, really, uh, emerging markets should be going to the World Trade Organization, should be going to the International Court of Justice to have quantitative easing declared as, uh, as an illegal activity, an unwarranted and illegal subsidization of, uh, of a corrupt and inefficient industry. The banking industry. Uh, America routinely stomps over World Trade Organization rules, increasing subsidies to its agricultural sector and forcing uh, farmers all over the world in emerging markets off the land uh, into the cities because, you know, 
when you have a subsistence farmer or just above a subsistence farmer, in fact, it's, it's, it's any farmer in an economy, even the big farmers. Uh, if you're buying heavy machinery and so on, you're buying expensive fertilizers and you're buying uh, all kinds of insecticides and so on to, uh, to keep your crops safe uh, while they're growing, while they're in the ground. Um, even developed farmers in emerging markets have been forced off the land by American subsidies. That is specifically why America subsidizes, like it subsidizes its rice crop to try and force farmers in Thailand off the land and into the cities. And it has, it's done that. Cotton farmers in Benin will never go back to the land. They're now in a shack and they have no way of returning. Um, that's what America does with its agricultural subsidies. It's not because its, its farmers need protection. It's because it wants to take out the farmers in other countries so that they will have to buy America's food. That's America. That's civilization, apparently, uh, nowadays. That's what passes for civilization. Uh, anyway, like, you know, going on about the FDA, well, it seems like the FDA is not as bad as the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration. It says the jet model remains airworthy. Uh, they haven't even found out why this aircraft crashed. They haven't found out why the uh, the Indonesian aircraft crashed. But the Federal Ad Aviation Administration says, oh, no, this, there's nothing wrong with the plane. It's a bit like, you know, like the FDA, kind of like uh, saying that some of these nasal applicators are all different kinds of strange drugs. You know, people jumping out of buildings and committing suicide because of, they've, they've taken an acne cream. Uh, well, okay, well, all right, now just leave America alone now, and I mean, um, operations are suspended uh, to and from countries' airports uh, in Oman. It became the first Arab state to hold, help max flights. Uh, Malaysian authorities suspended 737 max flights. Lion Air is said to plan a pivot to Airbus, that's Indonesia's Lion Air, one of the biggest customers of 737 MAX is refusing to take delivery of more planes. That's because of, of the air disaster five months ago and the Federal Aviation Authority is saying, no, there's nothing wrong with the line here, saying, I'm sorry, we're not going to be buying Boeing anymore. No wonder President Bush wants uh, China to buy Boeing. I, I reckon China's, China's, uh, uh, China can buy a whole lot of Boeings, but instead of allowing them into the air, perhaps what they should do is they should send each Boeing to a city and people people can convert the Boeing into a restaurant. You know, like uh, like in Fordsburg, uh, in downtown Johannesburg, you've got the train restaurant. It used to be a train carriage, and uh, you can go in there and you can sit down and you can have a meal like you're in a train. Um, well, the food's quite nice there. Uh, well, I, I reckon that's probably what uh, China is going to end up doing with the Boeing's that it's going to be forced to to order from the United States in order to give another bailout and another failing American industry. What happened to efficiency and all of these kinds of things? And uh, it's, it's amazing how, how socialist America can be when it comes to bailing out its buddies. South African bonds, uh, the government is, the South African government is on a roadshow at the moment to some of the major cities around the world, New York, Boston, London, Paris. Oh, it must be really nice going on that kind of tour, you know. You, they, they're going out there, they're trying to sell as much as $2 billion of euro bonds, so that works out to around about uh, 28, 29 billion rands. Uh, 
it is a way of, of increasing your foreign debt. Uh, but and they're selling it to usually to fund managers, usually to bankers, those kinds of people. But they've been told that uh, there's going to have to be a risk premium. Why do they want to go and try and sell these bonds before Moody's makes its decision next month? Because, you see, it's, it seems to be an indicator that Moody's is going to downgrade us. I, I mean, I, I would have thought it would be much better to do it after April. But, of course, they can't do it after April because then they've got a May election. Maybe they want to get the money now and go spend it before the elections come around. <laughs> You know, you, you 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 can't take things at face value anymore. Most certainly, I don't take the ANC at face value anymore. Um, the ANC says something, I take it with a big bag of salt. Uh, and the, 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 that's just the modern reality. I mean, you can ask yourself, why should uh, we have honest government when the America doesn't have honest government, when Europe doesn't have honest government, when this Western system of government isn't working anywhere in the world? Uh, Iceland is probably the only example of a Western country that uh, is a little bit successful because it like, threw all the bankers out uh, immediately after the 2008 credit crunch. And that is a lesson that America and Europe should have followed. But of course they couldn't because you've got crony capitalism. You know, they like to say the same thing about Suharto and Indonesia and Malaysia those countries, yeah, it's crony capitalism. That's what it is. It's crony capitalism. These Asian tigers, it's crony capitalism. Oh, boy, you want to see when it comes to the electing of an American president, you want to see crony capitalism coming out and letting it all hang out. Hmm. Uh, so, anyway, we have been told that we're going to have to pay a premium uh, on our bonds, like a 20 to 30 point differential, uh, because of the worries about uh, the Moody's upgrade or downgrade, about the worries about ESCOM, about the worries about corruption, about the worries about the president saying we're going to clean up and then he appoints the same corrupt people to his own cabinet. Uh, well, I mean, the ANC is trying to sell another story at the moment that in actual fact there's going to be an increase in white support in this upcoming election. That's going to be really interesting to see. Um, I've decided I'm not voting in this election. I know that's a terrible thing to, sing, to say on air. Uh, but as each election has come up every year, um, I've, I've voted ANC. I lay my cards on the table. I've voted ANC in every single election other than the last local election. Not this last one, because I didn't vote in that one. This last local election, I didn't vote in that one. Did I vote in it? No, in actual fact, I did. My wife didn't vote. No, I did vote in the last election. I did, and I voted for the ANC again. The ANC and the Gene Party. Um... About this election, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm sorry. Well, you know, I'm not going to vote for all the ANC sneers. Oh, let me double him. He's not going to vote for us. He's not going to vote for us. Well, please, go and, go and change his mind. Um, ANC, uh, after that uh, local election, should have come up with a, a major plan to turn things around. The fact that they didn't is indicative of the fact that the corruption in the ANC is just too deep. 
you've got uh, the mining minister agreeing to give someone mineral rights to go mine somewhere. Then you've got to get the transport minister coming in and saying, okay, we're going to build the road there. Then you've got to get the railway minister to come along and say, okay, well, we're going to get, we're going to get a railway line that is going to take your ore away from the road that the trucks are going to bring the ore to. And uh, then you've got to get the water minister to come along and say, okay, we're going to take all of these water rights from the surrounding farmers and we're going to give it to the mine. So they've all got to get together, get, get, get together there in a cabal. So, you know, any time one of those ministers in that cabal gets fingered for corruption, all of the others turn around to protect him because they're not really protecting him. They're protecting the deal that they put together. You know, the electricity minister must allow a certain amount of electricity for the smelter that's going to smelt the ore. And that is the ANC's problem. That is the ANC's problem. Well, I'm afraid uh, it has reached time for me to say assalamu alaikum. Jazakum Allah for joining us. I make dua that whatever trading activity you got up today has been profitable and above all halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Subhanallah, Allah, 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 Allah,